Thanks for joining us today as you listen to a portion of a message recorded at Vine Life Church in Boulder, Colorado. If you'd like to connect with us further, you can visit us online at www.vinelife.com. As a, as, as a loving father began to bless the work of God among them, but then he would offer some correction as well. Specifically in the city of Colossae, um, there was some specific things going on. You see that as the gospel had penetrated the area, they were starting to take this, the, this new message of the Messiah, of the work of Jesus, and that was starting to bear fruit. But then some of the early church, they were also starting to combine that with other things that were going on. And so they started playing this somewhat of a mix and match spirituality. So we're going to take a little angel worship from over here, a little Gnosticism, some Jewish roots. We're going to sprinkle in a little Jesus and call it a party, right? Does that sound familiar to anybody, by the way? And so this is what was going on. And so, so Paul would have a chance to write to the Colossians to build them up in the faith. And I'm going to read this morning um, this first uh, section in the book of Colossians. And here's how this is going to go down. For the next several weeks, we'll be in Colossians. End of uh, November, mid- mid-November, our friend Stephen Roach is going to be here from North Carolina. Some of you guys are familiar with Stephen. He's going to come bring a special word for us in a few weeks. Um, and then as we get closer to Christmas, we will take a break from Colossians and get into uh, to Advent and celebrate Jesus, the coming of Christ, right? And, and then that really sets us up to get back into Colossians as we, as we start the new year. Sound good? Hey, let's stand together. Get up on your feet. We're going to read the Word of God this morning. Colossians chapter 1, 1 through 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you as indeed the whole world, it's bearing fruit and is increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. Somebody say, thank you, Jesus. Come on. Take a seat. Take a seat.
So a few quick things that I want to point out in our time here this morning as we open up this new study, this new insight into a, a formational letter for the church. There's part of the posturing that we're looking at is the tone with which Paul is writing. You see, he's not writing as a district manager checking in on one of the franchises of the church. He's not doing, you know, uh, he's, he's not just doing uh, damage control and trying to maintain something. He's writing as a father. So I want you, as, as we're looking at this, and by the way, over the next several year, weeks, I just want to encourage you to read through the book of Colossians about once a week. It'll take you about 10 to 15 minutes, okay? Read through the book of Colossians just to stay into it. And pay attention to this, though. What, the tone with which Paul is writing is not one of a CEO or a district manager. It's one of a father. He's writing to spiritual children. And so you're going you're to you're sense this familial intimacy, this parental love and gentleness. As he both builds them up and as he makes corrections, he, he brings discipline, as any good father does. And so he starts off writing on behalf of him and Timothy. And most likely they're writing from prison in Ephesus in probably the, the 50s or the 60s like the original 50s and 60s, not the 1950s and 60s, like the legit 60s from prison. And Colossae is a really interesting letter because from what we know, Paul had actually never been there. He had never even been there. Some of the other letters he wrote were places that he had gone through and established the church. This was a church that he had only heard of as the word got around. And we're going to talk about that here in a second. So him and Timothy are writing. And the thing with Colossae, and we have a little map here, it's not far from Laodicea, which you hear about in the book of Revelation. It's about 100 miles in from Ephesus. And uh, there's uh, great speculation that the, the way that the Colossae, the church, was formed there was Epaphras, which we just learned about in the reading. Uh, he was prob- most likely a disciple of Paul. Uh, from Ephesus that then got sent to Colossae. And so things start exploding there. The f- gospel is bearing fruit in such a way that some, some stories make their way back to Ephesus while Paul and Timothy are sharing some, some bonding time in a prison cell. And the thing with, with Colossae, as I mentioned before, what was notable about this particular place was the existence of a, a local angel cult. It was known for its fusion of religious influences, which is this word called syncretism, which we're going to mix and match the best thoughts from all these different religious systems, and we're going to try to pull it all together in a fun way. And so Paul is going to address that later in the letter. But the other thing with Colossae is that it had previously been a place that was happening. It had previously, in the uh, 5th century B.C., was a, a, a trade area uh, known for being a crossroads of trade and commerce, but had since, since then dwindled in significance within this region. Not only that, but they had suffered a major earthquake, and they just didn't rebuild after this earthquake, and so much of it was destroyed, yet the gospel was still bearing fruit. So I just want you to imagine what this must have been like to be in a city that more or less had been forgotten as everything else was, was growing. And, and, and then to receive a letter as the church from Paul. Just imagine that, receiving a letter from the Apostle Paul. Like you've heard of him before. 
You've heard all these stories in the rumor mills, right? You've heard about the, the way the church was exploding. You heard about his conversion. The Apostle Paul writes you a letter. Do you guys, anybody enjoy getting letters in the mail? Yeah? It's kind of that forgotten art. Thank you, text messaging, for ruining everything for us. Uh, I love letters. More specifically, I, like, I love cards. That's probably more realistic for me. Because I'm a words of affirmation guy. Anybody, any words of affirmation people here? Five love languages, Gary Chapman, right? And so, you know, I love getting cards with words. Like, not just what Hallmark has to say. Like, lay it on me, right? In fact, it's been the, sor- the source of, of many marital disputes, right? When I, I don't get, you know, I, I need you to write something out from your heart to me. I just want to be affirmed, right? That kind of thing. Where my wife is a gifts person, and so we kind of swap that because she tries to give me gifts and I try to give her words. We actually should probably, I should buy her gifts and she should give me words. Anyways, getting a letter, receiving a letter. Just imagine receiving a letter from the Apostle Paul to, to grow up and to build up, to bring correction. And so he starts off in this letter, we always thank God when we pray for you. And it's, it's, it's pretty important that we pay attention to how Paul is addressing them because how he's addressing them has everything to do with what he's trying to model for them. And as we see in this first passage, much of, much of the tone and much of the content has to do with Paul coming to them from a posture of prayer. That Paul was coming to him not just with updates and updates in the policies that are, you know, that, that are funneling through Jerusalem and all the councils and everything, right? Hey, I just want to let you know about, you know, some new some new uh, policies and procedures we've decided down the road. It's like, no, that's not the posture. The posture he's coming from is the father, and he's praying for his children. And so he says, we thank God when we pray for you. What does he thank them for? What, uh, he says, I've heard of your faith, and this is what's really interesting from Paul. I've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for the saints. And of this we have heard before in the word of truth or because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. So, so pay attention to this. We've heard, of, we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for the saints because of the hope for, laid up for you in heaven. Faith in Christ, love you have for the saints, hope laid up in heaven. Faith, love, hope. Faith, love, hope. Have you heard those before? And he does this, and he does this in other letters to you. He seems to not be able to separate the trifecta of Christian living which is faith, love, and hope. See, as a church, as a body of believers in, in this city, I mean, there's a lot of things you could be known for. Right? You could be known for bad things. You could be known for failures. You could be known for mistakes. The word can get around about that. You could be known even for good things. We have never stopped praying you since we heard about the incredible views you have during worship. Right? since you have those incredible windows in your auditorium. We've never stopped praying for you after we heard about what great teachers and speakers you have. Right? Um, There's a lot of things you can be known for, but it would seem, as as we look at the formation of the church, what seems to matter both to these early church fathers and to the heart of God is that we become people that are known for our faith and our love and our hope. May we be a people that when word gets out, they can come, and if, they, if we're not known for anything else, may they look into our eyes and pay attention to our words, and with the way we conduct ourselves, so may we be a people 
known for faith in Christ, love for each other, and hope for what heaven has promised us. And he says it's bearing fruit. The gospel is bearing fruit. He gets into that in verse 6. The gospel which has come to you as indeed the whole world is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth. And I love that about the gospels. We know that it takes root when it bears fruit, right? Bearing fruit seems to be the indication. It's not just do we agree with the gospel. It's do our lives bear fruit. That's why it's not enough to just ask me, hey, are you a Christian? It's like, I don't know. Ask my wife. Ask my kids. Ask, the pe- ask my neighbors. Ask the people I work with. What are they going to tell you? Yeah, Luke's a Christian most of the time. I mean, most of the time. I mean, there's, you know, some of that, right? It's not right. You can't just ask me. You cannot ask me if I believe the gospel. You have to ask the people around me. Why? Because if I believe the gospel, then my life is producing something. It's generative in a way that benefits the people I actually spend time with. Can they pluck something from my life and enjoy it? Can they, pluck, can they pull something out of the way I live and actually delight in it? Does my life bear something that can be given as a gift to lead them into their own revelation of Jesus in some way, somehow? Am I kind? Am I compassionate? Do I care? Do I listen? Sometimes, not all the time. I'm growing in that, but I'm only growing that as I begin to be, rehearse the good news in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So it bears fruit only to the degree that we actually learn to believe not just what we're supposed to do, but what Jesus has already done. The gospel is all rooted in who the Father is and who the Son is and who the Spirit is in light of who they, is, who they are and what they've done. Who are we and how then should we live? And that is the gospel, not us getting it right, but living from the perfect God-man who got it right for us and made a space for us. I am a child of God. Yes, I am. Right? Come on. So the gospel is bearing fruit. The good news changes how we live. Are the people around you bearing that fruit with you? Are they enjoying the fruit of your life? And so as Paul continues, as he's talking about them, he again mentions that he's learned all this from Epaphras, who, is, who seemed to be a catalyst within Colossae, a faithful minister, and he, and he made known to Paul their love in the Spirit. Your love in the Spirit. He would, that was what they were known for. And so we continue in verse 9, and Paul says, And, and so for the, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. And I just want to think about that here for a second. That was their natural response when they'd heard of this church. It's just this natural. We have not ceased to pray for you. And again, we, we're entering into this prayer that Paul is bringing out. Like, in fact, just after this, he enters into the prayer. Not only has he been praying for them, but he's going to continue to pray for them, even in the letter. Because he wants them to understand, listen, nothing moves here. Nothing moves here outside of intimacy with the Father. And so he starts to pray things for them because he had been given to them. And it's this, it's this thing where you start to get the picture that, that prayer was this habit for them, for the church, for what God was doing. Prayer was a natural response for these apostles as they, were, as they were being obedient to Christ, as they were being sent by God all across the region. 
that prayer was their habit. And you th- I start to think about my own habits. My, my habit is this thing, right? What do we do in moments of, moments of waiting? I get my phone, right? That's my habit. I'm at the gas station. I'm waiting in line at, you know, the chiropractor. I'm at the microwave, you know. It's, like, it's actually become a habit. Like, as soon as there's a downtime, I have a habit. And I pull it out of my pocket, and I start to engage. Anybody else? Am I the only one here? Okay, I'll just preach to myself. That's fine. I'll just respond to my own altar call here in a moment. <laughs> Jesus, save me. And so we start to, but we have to start thinking about this. Thinking about what is our natural propensity when it comes to how we conduct ourselves <clears throat> in regards to the people that God has given us. And for Paul, the, the church in Colossae, as he would hear about these churches spring up, something would well up in his heart because he knew that it was, it was fruit that was bearing fruit, right? It was fruit, seed-bearing fruit. Fruit would be planted and seeds would be planted and more fruit and then seeds from that fruit would continue to grow and to flourish and, and, and Paul, as he would think about, he would, he would consider these things, he would begin to pray. And it's something that, that we have to be reminded of as, as we think about how the church is established, how the, the, the fruit actually moves out from our life. It's not just about what we're doing, it's about how we're praying, because prayer is that moment. Prayer is the time of our life when we're face-to-face with Father, receiving His breath into our lungs, receiving His thoughts into our mind, letting Him shape the direction of our hearts. And that's why he won't, let, he won't bless anything that doesn't happen from prayer. He won't, because he knows that intimacy with him, relationship with him, is the only, thing that kingdom thi- only way kingdom things actually are established. It's the only way. And so that's why we pray for the ones given to us. We pray for our children, just like he prays for his spiritual children. We pray for our families. We pray for our husbands and wives. You know, even in our singleness, we pray for the people that God has given to us and entrusted to our care. And that's how things begin to establish. And, and so he starts, he actually launches into a prayer here, Paul does. And there's several things he begins praying for. He's, he begins to pray that they bear more fruit. He begins to pray that they grow in knowledge, that they're strengthened to endure, and ultimately that they give thanks. And um, the theologian N.T. Wright, he, he, he pointed out that this, is, this forms a miniature picture of the Christian life and growth, that there's this spiraling, spiraling upward. It's not just circular. It's a spiral that, that as we bear more fruit and grow in knowledge and in strengthen to endure and then ultimately give thanks, what it does is it leads us to bear more fruit, grow in knowledge, be strengthened to endure, and give thanks. And it's just this, this picture of what the Christian life should look like, that we should be marked, Right? By bearing fruit, growing in knowledge of Christ, being strengthened as we're growing, and ultimately, everything we do end in giving thanks to God. And before he says some really hard things to them, the next couple chapters, he's like, listen, this is my prayer for you. This is what I want for you. You bear fruit, that you grow in knowledge, that you're strengthened to endure, and ultimately, gosh, that you just be filled with gratitude, that your head would hit the pillow elated by the work of God every night. Every morning, praise would be the song of, of, your, of your mouth, of your lips, 
And that's what I try to pray for my children, you know, when I, when I spend time with them. It's like, God, let this be true of them, right? Let them grow in wisdom and favor and stature. Let them know you. Let their lives bear fruit. And that their knowledge of you would grow. God, would you strengthen them for what they're about to encounter? God, help them be so thankful. Help them see you in that way, right? And this is a really good place for us to, to start off even in Colossians because, again, it's really easy to make the spiritual life about so many other things and so many other metrics. And when Paul starts talking about faith, hope, and love and bearing fruit and strength and endurance and giving thanks, there are things that you can't really measure a whole lot, but it seems to be like these are the indications that something's happening. One of the really cool things I got to do uh, recently, um, my two sons are in sports, or they just finished up sports, and so my youngest son, Asher, is five, and he uh, just finished a, um, a, a great soccer season, right? And uh, these little five-year-olds kicking the ball, and they're just, just learning how to kick the ball. They don't, they're not even trying to keep score at this point in time. They're just like, you know, the name of the game is, this is a ball, and you're supposed to kick it, Right? And maybe consider your other teammates. But that's just an option, you know. So it's great, because even all the, score, the, the goals that Asher scored, uh, most of the time he stole it from a teammate and then scored, scored the goal, right? But, but it's like, you know what? Okay, um, let's, just, let's just call that a win, right? It's great. It's so unbelievably cute. And then uh, my son Noah, is, he just finished flag football. And that was fun. Um, partly because uh, first practice, the coach asked me if I wanted to help out, and I said, sure. Uh, I didn't know that meant sign up to be the defensive coach, <laughs> which is funny because I'm not qualified for that position. Like, I, the interview process wasn't thorough enough because they shouldn't have allowed me to do this. I know nothing about that. I know nothing about, de- about being a defensive coach, and so I said, okay, yeah, sure, let's, let's try this out. So the last several weeks, walking with these seven, eight, nine-year-olds through trying to figure out how to defend their turf, right? Trying to figure out positions, pretending like I know what I'm doing. And, uh, you know, and, and, and obviously, like, even, even with youth sports, like, they're, they're tracking scores, right? I'm tracking scores, to be honest with you, but they're, like, really tracking scores. And there was moments in some of these games as we were playing, and, like, they were just you know, they were running hard, they were just working so hard, and then they would just get beat badly. Um, and you could see that, you could see it in their eyes, they just felt it, right? Like if they missed, they missed some defensive plays or some offensive plays, they, just, they knew it, and then they felt bad. And some of these kids, you know, they'd start tearing up and start crying because they felt like, gosh, that didn't work, right? That didn't, that didn't work at all. And and obviously, we, want them to, we wanted them to win games, but even the coach that I was working with, the other head coach, we had to help them understand what the real win was here. And so after, whether they won a game or they lost a game, we pulled them all over. And, you know, they're all comparing scores of how did we do, who won, you know, whatever. And, uh, and the coach would ask them every, every week, hey, listen, did you have fun? Did you run hard? And did you cheer on your teammates? And they'd be like, yeah. He's like, you won. Awesome good for it. Did you, did, you, did you have fun? Did you run hard? Did you cheer on your teammates? And, and it was fun because 
for them, that was part of recalibrating that experience for them so they know what they were experiencing, what was actually winning or losing. Now, imagine if we, like, approach the rest of life, like, instead of just being seven or eight or nine and living with that, imagine if we approached everything else with that same mentality. Imagine if we approached the Christian life or a church life or a family lives with, hey, listen, today, did I, did I, have, did I have fun? Did I run as hard as I can? Did I, did, my, did, I, did I bring everything to the table? Right? And did I cheer on the people that I love around me? I'm wondering if that's what Paul's getting at in some of this stuff. As he's, ta- as he's praying for them, as he's, as he's teaching them even through his prayers, I'm wondering if that's what he's getting at, that really what we're doing is we're, we're trying to understand how the kingdom is actually established, and there's a lot of ways to measure wins within church life within spiritual life, and we wish some days were better than others, and yeah, we go through these losses and some hard things, and we're walking with people with questions that we don't know how to answer, and there's things that we're going through that are super confusing. But I wonder, I wonder if all the saints in heaven, as they're cheering us on, this cloud of witnesses, they're like, listen, just live with joy, go after it, and take everybody else with you, just cheering them on and encouraging them along the way, right? And so Paul's praying for them, and he's praying for them. I think, I suspect the reason he starts many of his letters with prayer is because that's what he's learned of Jesus. That's what Jesus is doing for us. Jesus is the one interceding for us. It says this in Romans 8, 34, who is to be condemned? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who was at the right hand of God who indeed is interceding for us. Can you guys just picture this for a moment? Just as Paul is writing to them and praying for them, we are sitting in a place right now where Jesus and the Holy Spirit are partnering together. Like Graham Cook says, it's like a stereo prayer, left and right, both sides of us interceding on our behalf, interceding for you in any situation that you're going through. And what they're praying is that, that we would bear fruit, that we would grow up in the knowledge of him, that we would be strengthened to endure. And that in all things we would give thanks. And this would be the rhythm. This would be the lifestyle. We are called to, to listen to him praying for us and then to do this for others. And I think that's the question I want to ask here today. Is Just as Paul is praying for a church that maybe felt forgotten... As he's praying, to, he's praying for them just on what he's heard through the grapevine. One question that I would ask each of us is, who has God given to you? Who has God given to you? The reality is across this room here, you are all pastors and leaders. You are shepherds in your own, in your own way, in your own right. God has given people to you that just as Paul is addressing those who he wants to build up in the faith. For each one of us, God has given others to you. It's one of the great lies that our culture has believed is that faith is only a personal thing. No, no, faith, hope, and love. If our faith does not spill out into love and infusing hope into the people around us, then it is not the gospel. We haven't believed the gospel yet. But as each of us take responsibility for the people that God has given us, and we, as we in turn develop this prayer habit to never cease to pray and to give thanks to the people that God has given us. That 
is how the kingdom of God expands. It expands through love and family, building each other up, believing for each other in the gospel to continue to bear fruit. So can I ask you that? For some of you, that's you as parents. I know some of the parents are going to get their kids right now because I'm talking too long. I'm just joking. But for some of you as parents, who is given to you are your children, right? Some of you as marketplace leaders, who, who, are, who is given to you? Your employees, your coworkers, your colleagues. For those of you who have been in relationship with your neighbors, God has given to you your neighborhood or your apartment complex. He's given that to you. And so my question here today as we... As we, as we look at how Paul is addressing the church in Colossians, I think we in turn can be filled with this, this, um, this imperative to pay attention to who God has given to us. Who are we hearing about that we are, our hearts leap, that we hope that they grow into the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we can continue to give ourselves as a prayer habit, that they may be built up into the knowledge of God. And again, we do this because this is what Jesus models for us, right? That he's praying for us, and so we get to pray for each other. And let's read this last prayer from Paul one more time. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, forgiveness of sins. Let's pray together. Thank you, Jesus. I thank you that your gospel is bearing fruit in our lives and all across the world. And and today, Lord God, as we are immersing ourselves in this story, and reminding ourselves of how this originally unfolded. God, I thank you, Lord Jesus. I thank you for your heart for us, Lord God, that we would be a community known for our faith in Christ, our love for the saints, and our hope laid up in heaven. That you are filling us with faith, hope, and love. That we can continue to be filled with your kingdom purposes and to pray into existence in our lives and in the lives of those around us. Your purposes, namely, Lord God, that we would bear more fruit, that we would grow in the knowledge of God, that we would be strengthened to endure in all things. And God, that we would give thanks, Lord God, never forgetting the grace and the mercy available to us each and every day. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that would be true of all of us and the true of those that you have entrusted to us. And in like manner, Lord God, as we watch this church in Colossae flourish, Lord God, through the loving relationships, the family of God as you are establishing it. I think, I I pray that the same would be true for us, Lord God, for those that you have given to us and to our care, Lord God, that we would not we would not be confused about who that is or ignorant of who that is, but Lord God, that we would take responsibility for those given to us and pray for the light of Jesus to shine powerfully in their lives. We thank you, Lord God, for us here today and for those 
around us, Lord God, that you are at work transferring us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of your beloved Son. And so today, as a people, God, we say yes and we say amen to all you've done. Help us to receive your grace for today. May it be established in our lives. And it's in Jesus' mighty name we pray together. Amen. Amen.